Hello and welcome to uh, another edition of Football Unfocused, hot on the heels of the uh, the Paris special, which came out a mere few days ago. Goodness knows. When are you planning on releasing this, Matt? We're recording it Saturday today. afternoon. Oh, today! Yeah, Blimey! Today. Wow, that puts a different perspective <laughs> on everything. Wow. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. So that's going to be like, what, two in four or five days? Yeah, no, it's another spoiling, record for football and focused people. Yeah, <laughs> ten, we're breaking new ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll be just loving it. Well, I, I, I think our last episode had, uh, you know, uh, at least eleven listeners, Matthew. So, you know, I, yeah. I agree. It, I think the listenership went up a bit, and um, yeah. yeah, I thought that was a good, great, a great episode. It's only because I pushed it to my <laughs> um, Paris attending. Um, colleagues, comrades, Liverpool comrades on our shared WhatsApp group. So uh, just to kind of keep the listenership up, if you are listening, all of you, uh, uh, you know, uh, big big up to your lads. Uh, you know, <laughs> keep listening. Tell your friends, tell your family uh, that Football Unfocused is the way to go. Um, but for anyone who isn't on my <laughs> WhatsApp group or hasn't listened to this before, uh, this is Football Unfocused. It's a, it's a poor quality, rambling uh, uh, podcast that's about football uh, in which me and Matt chat shit. Uh, Matt's possibly not quite as much into football as me, um, but you know that's for you to that's for you to decide. It's not well, really yeah, for exactly. me. Exactly. Don't give him the answer. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't, yeah. That's the that's the mystery. But uh, one of the things I do, which regular listeners will know, is I begin every podcast by because I tend to do a lot of the talking because I'm an egotistical uh, uh, sort of maniac. Um, uh, so for people to get more of an insight into Matt as a human being. I ask insightful questions uh, about him as a personality. So this week's questions are, are thus. Matthew, do you have a preferred brand of toilet roll? <laughs> Not a brand as such. I think mm. there was a brand. Was there a brand that recycled their toilet rolls? I can't remember. Was that one? I may have gone through a do phase. Do they not all do that? Recycle their toilet paper. Yeah, they know. use recycled products to make toilet roll, don't they, mostly? No, I think they use sort of re. Oh, this is terrible. No, anyway, no, this is great content. This no, is not terrible. But anyway, um, but anyway, I do try and something with aloe vera. I find right. if I have find that if freezing I, on your anus. <laughs> I find if I have to go to the toilet twice in a day, by the second, um, you know, visit, it started. It I needs a bit yeah. of aloe vera. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. Are you quite punishing with your you know, the intensity of your wiping, then, Matthew? Yeah, you, I you think you hammer so. your anus. <laughs> I thought potentially I think so I, sometimes I have to jump in the shower I'm just like I can't I can't go through this again yeah so I have to jump in the shower yeah and just they say women in childbirth have it tough don't they yeah. <laughs> yeah so you go in the shower sometimes just hose your anus down to cool it to cool the good well and to clean it yeah yeah well yeah I mean hosing it down does tend to clean it in my experience I don't know about yours uh good just for anyone by the way who again is listening for the first time that is why I ask these questions if ever you're confused because it might be Regina I've just, I've, well there you go he's given an answer to the question there uh, which he could have just said all along but in that we've look at what we've learned from that we've learned that oh. Matt get finds the act of wiping his shit stained anus uh, he finds it so oh, troubling that he often needs to go and finish the job in the shower just to call him call his uh call his anus down good i do, I do remember it was great, it was only really <laughs> when it was in, when i was in my 20s mm. or no late teens that i realized this is you quite embarrassing no 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 that you have to 
like how to clean it in the shower because nobody really tells you it's like well, how to you clean need to... your ass well i guess it's like do do you wash your legs in the shower or do you just let yes. water run you wash your legs like yes you sort of... it's it's skin it gets dirty yeah yeah but like you don't just let the water run down them no, no i give them a scrub mate I mean, yeah, I know yeah. what you're saying, that there are yeah. more important areas. You've got to, you know, yeah, the, the, so there I are hot spots on... that need the key attention. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but your legs still need a rub, mate, you know. Yeah, may- yeah maybe I should start washing they're, my legs as they're well. Probably, an unwashed leg probably isn't going to cook up the stink that unwashed other areas uh, of the body would. Does. But, uh, <laughs> but, but it, you know, you still well, don't want to leave it Yeah, you know, well, that's dirty. where I came a cropper, I think, in my late teens. Someone commented well, that you something. weren't cleaning your anus properly. Well, I think somebody just said, oh... Have you... You've got skinny pants. <laughs> oh, no, they just said, oh, have you fighting, man? That fucking stinks. You smell a shit. I was like... And it was mm. your pants. Yeah, I think it was just... Or, or, or just, just the, the smell of your arse. I just right. smell of my arse. I, think, wow. I don't know what it was. It's an incredible so. admission. And again, listeners, that's why I ask these questions. Look at the detail <laughs> we've got for now. There'd have been no other way of finding that out about <laughs> Matthew. But now we know it. The world knows it. Or, or 12 <laughs> listeners know it. Question two. <laughs> Question two, Matthew. Do you like magic and that sort of shit? <laughs> that sort of shit. No, I find it really annoying. Yeah. I find do you you're obviously in agreement. You're Oh yeah, I can't stand it. Oh, I can't stand it. It's just the um uh, the feeling of It's up like, there with like when someone starts singing in a film. As soon as I think it's a musical, I'm out. Oh yeah, I know. I tried to get you to watch um Bo yeah. Burnham and you yeah, you I'm just out. you were like, Is this a comedy? You messed you messed with me, you were like, Is this sorry, is this a musical and then you just stop watching it yeah which is so good but yeah no i don't like i don't i don't like the idea that somebody is impressing me or trying to impress me by you know sort of creating a ruse right and so you don't just, like the idea of being tricked yeah mm. you know i'd rather undermine your self-confidence yeah, well, that's it. It's sometimes mm. low enough as it is, and it's yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. no, you're just mugging me off more. You're playing well, it against me. So explain <laughs> to me. I can understand how, say, a bit of street magic might make you feel a bit of a twat if you were the victim of it. But like, let's just say you were just sitting there watching an old school Paul Daniels job of like a geezer sewing his uh, sawing his wife in half. How would that undermine your self confidence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you not believe uh, in? I'm women? just like, oh, I actually thought he was. Sawing Debbie McGee, but now yeah. I realise that it wasn't. Uh, but yeah, someone like you'd have preferred a bloodbath resulting in death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just give it to me straight. You know, yeah. that's all yeah. I asked for. Good, good. Okay, good. So, so your desire to live in the relentless reality is what is behind your hatred of magic and that sort of shit. Good. Uh, third question, and it's actually got some relevance to question number one as well. How often do you use bleach? <laughs> relevance to number one i don't bleach my ass no good well not yet anyway (laughs) no um yeah i try not to use bleach we use Mm. what's it ecova that's the friendly stuff so they don't call it bleach they call it toilet cleaner yeah, well, it's not just for the toilet. Like, but you could often use oh, bleach what, to, what else you know, you bleach? problematic drain that's starting to smell. Maybe you know, oh, it just yeah, breaks stuff s- down, doesn't it? Bleach. I know we've actually got some quite smelly drains because we're in rented accommodation at the moment, yeah. and um, I'll flush the toilet and it'll stink. And uh, Joe says that I'm not using the bleach enough. So yeah, you're probably right. Actually, I think <laughs> what's that probably, got to so do with you being in rented it... accommodation? <laughs> so if you owned your own house, your toilet would smell like roses. Well, I'd be inclined to investigate more, maybe. Oh, so you basically can't be fucked. 
but yeah so the answer to the question is i probably don't use it enough hmm. uh, maybe Excellent. i maybe i was focusing so much on just just sorry ass. to pick up on the point there uh, <laughs> uh, not enough is not a number i said how often do you oh. use bleach every two two day- i'll use it every like two 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 days i reckon and it's always in the toilet nowhere else yeah and joe joe probably use it as well mm. <laughs> so she probably won't appreciate me saying that i but had yeah. to, some some fox did a pony in a garden um a few days ago and it stank so bad that oh, i couldn't man. bring myself to just scoop it up with a trowel and get, dispose of it until it i just thought I'm gonna, gonna undermine its molecular structure with bleach, and and that will take the edge off the smell. And honestly, 24 hours of that, and then what I had to dispose of was almost literally a breath of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to dispose of after that. It really was. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, it's that good. nature's diffuser or something. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing natural about the bleach I use, mate. Yeah, I go, I go old school. Yeah, belt and braces. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, so let's talk football. Uh, that nonsense, nine minutes of nonsense. Um, <laughs> so um, obviously the last podcast was focused entirely around, well, it was just a monologue, basically, a series of individual recordings stitched together uh, to form some sort of narrative from my uh, time in and around Paris for the Champions League final. I suppose the only thing uh, I wanted to <clears throat> continue from that before attempting to, I suppose, shut it down a bit is um, that it is very interesting. I think I left the, the, the last podcast sort of saying how kind of pissed off and bitter I was towards UEFA for essentially destroying the experience um, that should be a positive one, even when you attend a match in which you lose, because you still get to go to a Champions League final and the, the kind of the joy of the build up and the camaraderie with your with your with your friends and everything like that. And it and it so much of that was ruined through everything that we kind of went through. And what's been interesting is the last few days there's been a very clear and pronounced <laughs> series of uh statements and, and actions that are showing that the, 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 the attempt to lie is just crumbling. It's crumbling all over the place from UEFA and the French authorities. And like an absolute deck of cards is just folded. So now, uh, to the extent that UEFA have now issued an, an apology, I would still regard it as a, as a qualified apology. It's not, it's not good enough. It's cause, but the, I suppose the point I'm making here, and I know that probably when you say this, it probably sounds like you've got a bit of a... Um, uh, uh, you know, maybe a bit of a victim complex or whatever in terms of uh, thinking that, you, you know, you've had it worse than anyone else. But it does seem a bit convenient that it's only since Real Madrid have started piping up and complaining themselves and saying that their fans went through not as severe, but but similar experiences and were greeted with, you know, over hostile policing, incompetent stewarding, lack of signage, etc. And since they've made that public... UEFA have all of a sudden um, gone on the, you know, the sort of apologetic uh, footing, and you know they're really backtracking. And they've, but it was again, I, I, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But in their in their apology statement that they released yesterday, they were sort of saying we apologise to both sets of fans, and the fact that they specified that it's in quite their a Trump, it's quite a Trump. It is, isn't it? <laughs> there were good people on both sides. Yeah, he said that after that fucking white supremacist riot, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, uh, or, f- or was it fault on both sides? I can't remember what he said, but yeah, no, no, it's good horrific, people on both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it just you know having having spent four or five days just trying to once again attempting to sort of trash the reputation of Liverpool fans, despite all the the, the stack of evidence that suggested to the contrary, um, to then sort of backtrack like that and but offer to only. Um, um, compensate financially compensate the people who didn't let in get let into the ground and as you and I were discussing for this game if you if you bought a ticket for any just an any normal event you know you and I were supposed to be going to the O2 last week to see a you know a bit a bit of live comedy and imagine we we was we said beforehand if if we'd been queuing up in an orderly fashion to go into the O2 arena and suddenly, for no no apparent reason, the police just turned the tear gas on us. That would be an absolute national outrage. Not only would you be getting compensation and your, your money back from uh, the O2, but you'd be getting, uh, you know, all, all sorts. There'd be clamours for all sorts of, um, you know, compensation and, you know, possibly Redress. legal action. Yeah, yeah. all sorts. You know, there'd be loads of ramifications. But it appears that we're supposed to kind of just swallow it and go, well, as long as you've got into the ground, it's OK. We're sorry. We'll, we'll sort out the people who didn't. And by the way, it is obviously absolutely right that they compensate the people who didn't get into the ground. I mentioned last week um, my friend Aaron who um, went all that way and got, went for an arduous coach journey and all of that stress and it was it was genuinely it was one of the many many things that that detracted hugely from the actual enjoyment of getting in there and watching the match was checking my phone from time to time and the awareness that he still hadn't got in and that we were in there and he was locked outside the gates after going through that journey after the money he paid for his ticket and having uh, done absolutely nothing wrong and just you know, through a combination of sort of stubbornness, incompetence, uh, and just quite unpleasantness, really, victimisation. He was just being refused entry, and it's quite absolutely right. He, should, in fact, I think he should be compensated for his for his travel, for his time, for the ordeal, and everything like that. You wait for a not lacking money, you know. So they should, be, I, you know, I'm, I'm personally of the opinion that everyone who's in that ground should be getting their money back. They, UEFA shouldn't be making a penny from that, that experience because it was an absolute shambles and a disgrace. My other problem, though, is that it's all very well them apologising now, and I do think that their apology yesterday is a start, but it was, I think, when you read the detail, it's still a relatively qualified apology, and it's not going as far as I think it needs to in terms of accepting responsibility. But I think it's anticipating that this commission, this inquiry that they have commissioned will inevitably be, be find some you know damning conclusions about their, their conduct and the conduct of the French police. And that's why Emmanuel Macron himself has spoken out and sort of apologised, I believe, as well. So that's the thing. So you've got the French interior. So this is like the equivalent of someone like Priti Patel, some, you know, skull brain moron like you know evil bitch like Priti Patel um, um, speaking uh, out defiantly and trying to blame I don't know let's just you know use an example a random example of Priti Patel maybe some immigrants trying to get to the UK across the English the Ardu crossing the English Channel and subjecting them to some torturous conditions defiantly blaming them for a few days and then by the end of that week Boris Johnson is apologising to them in a televised address it's, that's a, that's an obviously it's I'm not suggesting for one second that it's as serious as the way they treat people in the in the uh, English Channel but that that's an equivalent you know you've got one minister of state making one defiant line of argument throughout the week and then it's completely undermined by the government at the end of the week but 
and this is the bit that, that that is it's frustrating and it's upsetting but it is depressingly inevitable because of the amount of the lack of clarity from the very beginning and then their attempt to immediately close ranks and blame fans sticking up that message in the in the stadium was so provocative i don't know whether that came across really on tv but in the ground that was massively provocative to put it up on the on the big screen in the ground due to late arrival of fans there'll be a delay to kick off for 15 minutes so i think they were initially trying to say no more than 15 minutes and in the end it kicked off about 35 minutes late so that's immediate that's not worded in that way by accident that was worded in that way to say because of you because of you people turning up late and ruining it for everyone, your conduct, this is now going to be delayed. And that got greeted with, you know, hostility as soon as that went up in the ground. It was absolutely disgraceful. But it's part of this, you know, attempt, which I compared in the last episode, and I make no apologies about it because there are similarities to the initial reaction to uh, the, the events of, on, in, on, on the Hillsborough disaster. That's what authorities do in situations like that. They attempt to just... Pull rank and blame, you know, something that is happening to them rather than being caused by them. Um, so because of that, and then the statement by the interior minister and the actions of the French government and the French police over a few days, no matter what conclusions are found now, no matter what statements are made by UEFA, no matter what how contritional and apologetic government officials in France or wherever are now, enough fog has been thrown into that argument that, that, that will now ju- be used by people to justify uh, essentially blaming Liverpool fans. And there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that this will add to people's um, embo- feeling emboldened going into next season to go back to singing really like unforgivably offensive songs about you know, going back to Hillsborough, stuff like it's always your, it's never your fault, always the victim and all that sort of stuff. The, the, the Manx often sing a song saying the sun was right, you're murderers. You know, I mean, it does not get more offensive than that. And that that's not football banter. That is absolutely fucking disgusting. Um, and those types of people will feel emboldened. They're just like, oh, look at the Scousers again, no matter what happens now. And that is because of that, that they gave the oxygen over that four or five days period for those points of view. And to show you how pervasive they can be, you know, I know this is a really simplistic um, and quite an innocent example, but I went to the cricket yesterday. I came back. I went uh, to get some fish and chips for uh, for my dinner at the Codfather. Lovely fellas who I know in there, uh, Turkish fellas who run the Codfather. I always chat to them, normally about the Shiktas when I'm in there. First question he asked me yesterday, oh, did you go to Paris yet? Yeah. said, oh, Liverpool fans causing all the problems. And I just said, I just sort of said, well, no, that, that's not what happened at all. But that's that's what I'm saying. That's what pe- that's people will look at that. They'll see. They'll read a headline. They'll hear a narrative, and then that's it. And then that's ingrained. So he might be different because he's now hurt. You know, I'm, I'm, he's he's heard from someone who he knows and sees regularly, who was at the game, who's told him well, actually that's not the way it was at all. But how many millions of people do not have? Someone. Oh, not only do they not have someone who's going to undermine that point of view by telling them the truth, but also they don't want to hear it. You know, they've just they've heard enough. Um, they've, they've 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 heard something that kind of confirms their prejudice, and that's it. So you know, therefore, all those scousers again. Um, so yeah, so that's that's my my kind of final word. And anything you wanted to say on the uh, on the matter, Matt? No, no, no. I think you said it all. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So much on, more on, eloquent, much more eloquently than I. Can yeah, I mean, say. It's, it's 
it's an experience I wish that I or any uh, attendee on that day hadn't gone through. It's you know, it's a week on, and it's it's on one hand, it kind of feels like a mad fever dream, like it didn't happen, and on the other hand, it still feels incredibly vivid. And I don't want to kind of you know overlabor the point because there are people that who had a significantly worse experience than me, but it gen- genuinely it was it was mm. traumatic. And for about two days afterwards, I felt like this kind of fog and flatness that was kind of quite difficult to to overcome and that I, I mean I'm I, originally I was planning on doing the last piece of the podcast um the sort of summing up bit probably like straight after the game maybe even that night when I got back to the hotel and I could still feel I was going to bed and I could still feel like the scratching in my throat and the itching in my eyes from the uh, tear gas and I just didn't feel ready to do it and then for like two days after I just I just couldn't I didn't want to talk about it you know and then I sort of finally got my thoughts together and it 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 is yeah it's a it's a fucking ordeal and it's really only like the last couple of days that I feel like a bit more comfortable kind of just just like just expressing how fucking raging I am about it really but uh but yeah so hopefully in time you know there's not there's nothing you can do you know much as I've just moaned about the damage that UEFA have done with their messaging I think that's done now. The haters are always going to hate. There's not a huge amount you can do about it. There are always people's minds you're not going to change and you have to just uh, get on with life. But um, but you, you, UEFA and France owe, owe you know, financial compensation and I think I don't know what else they can do in terms of getting their arse in gear. And interestingly, actually, I made the point last week that oh, you can bet your bottom dollar this won't happen um, at the Rugby World Cup. Uh, when they host it, but actually, my, um, one of Kelly's um, cousins, so Kelly's in in Ireland at the moment. She's uh, one of her cousins has been there to see Ireland play rugby at the Stade France, and said that last time he went there, it was absolute carnage. Said there was no signs anywhere, there was like people all over the place, and you know it felt really dangerous. So maybe I was quick to dismiss the idea that it would be, you know, this wouldn't happen to more middle-class sports. But, I mean, I hope not. I hope this is such a, an embarrassment for the French that they have to sort it out. I actually, there was one one last point I wanted to make, and I do think this is probably really quite fundamental to, to what went wrong. Some really disturbing images. One of the things I personally didn't witness, and so therefore can't really talk about, but some really disturbing images have, have come to light over the last uh, uh, couple of days about post-match um post-match violence and there's some awful testimonies and um footage of large groups of you know the local youths i was talking about who were kind of lining Mm. the streets and making it really intimidating essentially um hijacking quite small groups of liverpool fans who were just walking back to the train station in and around the train station just randomly knocking out kicks and punches um mugging people's phones and and uh, wallets and stuff. And there's some really... Like, there was a guy who got knocked to the ground. He's got a massive cut on his head. It was splurting with blood. His wife and kid were with him, and they were, like, screaming and trying to pull these uh, men off off the husband. Completely unprovoked. Now, I think it's it's slightly delicate, I suppose, talking about this as an issue, but it is it is worth raising, because I think it it has somehow played a role. Saint-Denis, as an area, is, is quite impoverished and has a high um, level of immigration... So it's got a big immigrant population. Now that, of course, is not the reason why the the, um, the problems kicked off. That you know, not, I'm not making that point at all. But what I am saying is, it is an area that has been histo- historically been an issue and has been preyed upon by the right in France 
to try and, in the same way that the cynical, you know, right wing politicians would do in this country, where you get areas that have been left to left in squalor, essentially underinvested in, uh, where people have just been plonked with kind of, you know, no hope, and an area becomes therefore just a bit of a, you know, an area that falls into kind of decline. And then people's behaviour begins to kind of reflect that, you know. But, you know, they say you you treat you you act the way in which you're treated often, and I feel that that is essentially some of the things that went on last week were as a consequence of French social problems that are really really deep rooted because they're, they're it's a very divided country. You only have to look at the fact that around forty percent of the uh, uh, people who turned up to vote voted for a fascist in their last election. So that, you know that is. There's a lot to admire about France, but equally, there are they're a country with a lot of problems. And I've I've heard it suggested in a couple of articles that I've read over the last last 24 hours or so that the fact that the um, the kind of the the violent attacks and the uh, lining of the streets was mostly the act of that local immigrant community has stopped certain politicians in France from kind of calling it out because they don't want to seem like they're kind of handing the Marie Le Pen's um, far right party um, a free, you know, a bit of a free pass. Um, so I suppose that that sensitivity is worth considering in terms of the impact that that has had. But I mean, I suppose I would suggest that not mentioning that or not tackling it for fear of kind of pandering to the right in a way, panders to the right because it then allows someone like Marine Le Pen to say, "Oh, look, these people are trying to cover up what the real problem is," and blah, and then stoke hate, which is, of course, never the answer. And like I say, I want to be absolutely clear: the fact that that is a, an area with, um, you know, low um, um, economic wealth and high levels of uh, immigration is not the reason that the the violence took place, but it is an area that has problems. And I think the foot, you know, the, the the stuff that happened around the football stadium is just, uh, you know, a manifestation of that. Even Thierry Henry himself said when when the um, when the final was, um, I think it was when he was on telly when the semi-finals. It was either when the semi-finals had just finished or they were previewing the final in some way. And the presenter, he, I think he was working for CBS, and the presenter said to him, uh, uh, "Are you looking forward to the final in Paris?" And he he said, "Oh no 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 no, it's not in Paris. It's in Saint Denis." He was like, they're, they're very, very different places. You wouldn't want to go yeah. to Saint Denis. And you kind of think, yes, Thierry, I wish I'd fucking listened. Uh, yeah, I definitely don't want to go to Saint Denis uh, anytime soon. But yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, on more positive note, uh, you know, Forrest are back in the Premier League. Matt, you know my long term obsession with getting old school, big football clubs back in uh, the top flight of football. So I think that's good. Yeah, and Sunderland went up as well. Sunderland up, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, Sunderland up. Uh, Back into the championship, so yeah. So it's a it's w- when you look at like who's been promoted into the Premier League. So you've got two middling to small clubs who have very recently been relegated from the Premier League and have kind of still got the money. And then you've got Forest, who have you know one of the biggest, genuinely one of the biggest clubs in the country, the only club in Europe to have won the European Cup more times than they've won their own domestic league. I mean that that is a remarkable to win the league once and then qualify for the European Cup, win it and then win it again. Absolutely amazing. Um, so to have them back in the in the Premier League is is really good. 20, I mean, twenty three years. I, I, it makes me feel bloody old to think that you know that's twenty three years since they got relegated. But yeah, it's good. It's going to be good to have them back. It's just one of them things. From a, I look at everything from the point of view of a, you know, if you get your ass out of bed on a Saturday morning and you go into the match, you want to you want to kind of feel that, regardless of how good the actual team is, you want to you want to be playing against a club that 
that um, kind of excites you a bit and there's a bit of a context to the fixture, you know, historical context. And, you know, I think Forest, it, pretty much every Premier League, every established Premier League club they play against, that club will have a history with Forest, you know. So that's exactly the same thing as I felt, felt and feel with Leeds. Um, so, yeah, Leeds and Forest up, hopefully they'll stay up and, um, and uh, you know, with any luck in the next couple of years, uh, the likes of, um, you know, Sheffield Wednesday and uh, maybe even Derby County, although they've just obviously been relegated, um, will will follow them um, and get rid of some of the, you know, <laughs> less interesting fixtures. So we say, lovely as it is that Brentford are doing so well, you know, I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, Matt, you've, you've watched some Nations League stuff, haven't you? No, I you didn't. Know? I didn't. I just... Um... No, I, I was just commenting on um, how England are going to be in a stadium with 30,000 14-year-olds or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What are you suggesting? <laughs> not, for the purpose of the like, no crime has been committed uh, and we're not making any suggestions. There's nothing illicit no, about that, is there? No, but I do, you know, I just think, uh, yeah, the, the Hungarians have, um, they've, you know, they've, they've kind of gained the system. They're sort of out, you know, they're sort of... They're, because yeah. I think even Gareth Southgate was like, maybe we should have been doing that. Did he say something <laughs> to that effect? It was like, yeah. why why have we not got 30,000 kids in the stadium? Um, so, because I've actually not been following this particularly closely. So, I'm assuming they've got some sort of stadium ban, but the way you can get around yes. a stadium ban, you're allowed to let kids in. Under Anyone 14. under the age of 14, okay. And they've got 36,000. So, I think the state, the what's it called? The Ruckus? What's the... In, the Hungarian... Uh, I don't know. I thought it was called the French Puskas Arena, wasn't it? Puskas, sorry. Ruckus. <laughs> so I, knew that, I knew there was a K I mean, in it. Isn't a ruckus uh, a term for a fight? <laughs> big fight. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, ruckus mate, arena. Mate, oh, no, that's like my, my subconscious uh, yeah, 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 yeah. bias coming through. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you're allowed... Yeah, you're allowed uh, under under UEFA rules, even during a closed match, you're allowed under 14 to... to to attend as long as they've got an adult for every 10 youngsters so there's going to be so for every 10 youngsters there's going to be an adult but there'll be 30 i think it's 32 or thirty-two thousand, which is mm-hmm. effectively half the stadium and when we so that that was yeah because haven't that, england got to play a game in yes, front of an empty because, stadium as well because yeah, of the euro because, last because summer, of the euro final and uh and gareth Southgate we're not doing that no no, we got to. So we're just going no fucker there. <laughs> well, I think we've got a few. You know, we've got some kids, but not not thirty thousand. Well, the kids are back off half term next week, so they, you could get know, a, all need, the schools get, just, within, say, a fifteen mile radius. Just say to them, right when know, you when you finish, you get your ass to Wembley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bring your teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your teacher. It's great, great to be a teacher. You just want to see some oh. free international football. <laughs> And who are England? Because you can tell how uninvested oh, I am in England. Mate, who, are they even, who are they even playing? Don't, well, they're playing Hungary. No, they, Hungary. I know they're playing. Yeah, I guess uh, that. Yeah, but who are they playing? Uh, <laughs> what in Wembley? In England? Yeah. Oh, who knows? Someone. Don't playing someone. don't ask. Uh, you know not to ask me questions. Well, but... I thought that you've actually read about this. You might know who they're playing I'm, in that. Oh fixture, right. But... Yeah, yeah, I mean, no, is it too late? Could they still get? You know, can you? How quickly can you found? Can, five, can they turn five, forty around? or fifty thousand children? <laughs> Uh, possibly don't make that the uh, the subject of this podcast because no. that that as the title would arouse suspicion. You know, where, people where looking you... for something new to listen to. The, the people who are looking for forty thousand kids is not the demographic we're going for. 
certainly not. And if you're listening for that reason, really, really do fuck off. Uh, please fuck off. Yeah. And don't come back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, but no, that's the only thing I have to say. Do you understand how any... the Nations League works, Matt? And what it, what it, well, ex- why is this? I was hoping, did you want to try and have a crack at it? Yeah, it's to do really with UEFA. It's to do with UEFA, isn't it? I think ultimately they were trying to, you obviously have, if you're a European country, you go through two rounds of, on a kind of four-year cycle, European Championship qualifying, European Championship, World Cup qualifying, World Cup. In between, the fixtures that you have in order to, you know, try out new players, try out new formations, just keep playing football, um, have historically been sort of meaningless international friendlies. I think in order to kind of stop them and make them more exciting and just create perpetual competitiveness, they've introduced this thing called the Nations League where they... Now, this is probably completely wrong, but it appears that what happens is you get put in a kind of group based on your seeding. So you play against teams who are kind of at a similar level to you. And then you then... So the only people who... The only teams who can actually win the Nations League are the ones in that kind of top seeding. So if you win... I think if you win maybe your group, then you play a, like a knockout game against a winner of another elite group or whatever, and then you have a final. And I, the bit I don't quite get, <laughs> please phone in and let me know, is that there is the advantage of it is that you can improve your seeding by doing well in it so that then if you then say you're like a third seed team, you could then maybe get in the second seed for the World Cup qualifiers and get a slightly easier draw. Also, it's kind of like a backup and insurance policy. So I think if you win your Nations League group and you're, say, a second or third seeded team and then you fail to qualify for the international tournament, I think you can kind of re- like use that as the backup and then end up playing a, like a playoff game where you could still qualify for that tournament. So it is it is kind of worth doing well in for that respect. But I think it's probably more useful for the teams that are less likely to qualify anyway. So, you know, Scotland, for example, who um, I'm not sure you saw any of that. That was actually worth yes, commenting on that game against Ukraine it. the other day. Yeah. I mean, they were on a hiding the nothing really there, weren't yeah, they? Yeah. Because <laughs> Scotland yeah. are like, obviously, you know, people who are really into England will not want to see Scotland do well. But aside from those dickheads, um, <laughs> most people, I think, probably quite like Scotland because, you know, they're known as being a, very passionately supported um, bunch of fans who behave themselves around the world and, you know, historically um, relevant. Um, but they've probably <laughs> never played a game where they've been so kind of uh, unanimously backed against, basically, yeah. where, you know, anyone in the right mind wants to see Ukraine do well. Even, yeah. like, the, the Scottish pundits for Sky the other night, where, like, Graham Souness was, like, he could barely bring himself to kind of want Scotland to win. He was actually advocating that that Scotland should have gone straight to the playoff against Wales for to decide which one of them two gets in the uh, in the World Cup and the, that you uh, FIFA should have just found a place for Ukraine to just be in the World Cup they should have just yeah. been given it but I do think it's good that they'll yeah. they're they're going to earn it um but Wales have now got obviously the arduous task of having to play I mean imagine having to play against a team that are so motivated because they, the existence mm. of their nation state is is at risk I mean bloody hell so they're definitely in the World Cup, Ukraine now. No, it's them or oh, Wales. Right. Oh fuck it! Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's I think it's tomorrow, Sunday. That is, if you're uh, yes, yeah, so we're recording this on Saturday, so it's tomorrow oh. as we record is is uh, I think I'm pretty sure it's tomorrow. Um, watch it. 
Yeah, well, I probably will. Yeah, I, I, again, under normal circumstances, before all this shit, I would have, I would have um, wanted Wales to win that because you know, well, why, why wouldn't you? Um, I, I, you know, I like to see Wales do well, but um, yeah, I mean, I just I don't see how you can not want um, Ukraine. Ukraine, you'd have to have a quite a hard heart, really. Um, yeah, the thing that was quite interesting about it is that in a normal circumstance, that game the other day, Scotland would have been banking on creating a, a kind of a hostile environment for the opposition and really uh, like um, uh, uh, kind of in, in intimidating and raucous or, or ruckus, as you like to say, uh, <laughs> the ruck, in the ruckus arena. Um, and, um, and that kind of just wasn't there because once you've kind of attempted to sing along with the opposition national anthem out of solidarity and half of your fans are waving the flag of the opposition and are wearing t-shirts supporting the opposition, then it's a bit difficult to then turn around and go, fuck off, you wankers. <laughs> like, you know, so, uh, so yeah, it must have been tricky. But I feel for poor old Andy Robertson, obviously, as from a Liverpool perspective, because he's had a tough old week. He's in the space of like a, a week and a half. He's uh, missed out on the league title by a point, missed out on the Champions League by a goal. And uh, his nation which is the captain have now just lost out on uh, getting to the world cup so he probably needs a nice holiday <laughs> i'd suggest uh yeah but don't we all yeah yeah we've worked so hard this uh, this season yeah but we'll we'll plow on that because that's the thing you know unlike these uh pampered overcompensated uh footballers you know we're we're tough we keep going yeah 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 you know we're not these fancy dans <laughs> All right, well, on that bombshell, uh, the Fancy Dan bombshell, I think that's probably about it. Uh, it's Saturday afternoon and we Stop are wasting our time. Chris. Sorry, it's not Chris, actually. They are, um, for some reason, they're sitting on this desk next to me. These are uh, BA uh, hand sanitizer packages, <laughs> which I've had since my last BA flight, uh, just in case I um, end up Get dirty. Uh, needing, yeah, needing some urgent sanitization <laughs> while sitting at my desk, um, which, let's face it, we all do from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, on, on that bombshell now, it's, it's time to say goodbye for another week. Thank you for listening to Football Focus with uh, Mark and Matthew. Have a good week. <laughs>